The North Korean communist attack began a little after four o'clock in the morning on June 25, 1950, less than two miles from my home in Kaesong. I was awakened by the small arms and artillery fire, but I then did something foolish. I decided that it was simply another border skirmish between North and South Korea. I even turned over in bed and tried to go back to sleep. In my two years in Kaesong, I had learned that most such outbreaks of fighting along the 38th parallel took place during the early morning hours, and like many people all over the world who live with danger, I got used to it. On that Sunday morning, I had no way of knowing that sometime during the night the North Koreans had slipped across the 38th parallel and relayed the torn-up section of the railway that runs north out of Kaesong. Then, in a brilliant maneuver, they had loaded a train with soldiers and taken it boldly into the train station at Kaesong. I did not realize that I was hearing the beginning of the Korean War, and that soon we would be effectively cut off from the free world. We would not see it again for three years. We Americans living in Kaesong had had plenty of warning from both the American Embassy in Seoul and the U.S. Army. In early 1950, one embassy official asked me, "'Why don't you people leave Kaesong and move closer to Seoul? You'll have a better chance to escape if the North Koreans attack.' Even the mission that sponsored our work had suggested that we close our border station and move farther south. We had also been warned by events along the border just the year before, when the 38th parallel had erupted with such ferocity that none of us left our homes for three days. Then there were the refugees from North Korea, who for a time had flooded Kaesong at the rate of 3,000 per day. In fact, part of our mission was to help provide temporary shelter to the thousands who were voting with their feet and leaving the North for the South. They were supposed to remain in Kaesong for only three days before being relocated farther South. But every day, some remained, and more arrived, taxing the already overburdened resources of the city to the breaking point. All these refugees had crossed the border at great risk to themselves. Some had lost everything they owned. They used to tell us, all it takes for us to pack our bags is to stand on our feet. And they brought horror stories of conditions north of the border. They had even told us of the massing of thousands of North Korean soldiers less than ten miles from Kaesong. Yet we had faced only the possibility, not the probability, of open hostilities between North and South Korea. Moreover, Captain Joseph Dorigo, a U.S. Army officer assigned to the Korean Military Advisory Group, agreed with us that if an attack did take place, Americans would not be harmed. So we were still not overly concerned when, at about 7.30 that morning, my friend Chris Jensen and I saw the shadowy figures of armed men in strange uniforms moving south through my yard. They're only South Koreans dressed up in different uniforms. They're having a military maneuver of some kind, said Chris, summing up the matter. And when the young men fired their weapons into the air from time to time without bothering to aim at anything— this is to make the exercise look and sound more like the real thing, I said to Chris. Nevertheless, when Dr. Ernest Kish hurried into my room to observe what was going on, Chris and I, for some reason, jerked him away from the window. 
I don't know why they did it, but the situation had begun to look suspicious. Then I looked farther down one of the streets and observed that all electric and telephone lines had been cut and were lying on the ground. That was my first real clue that this maneuver was the real thing. The South Koreans would certainly not cut all the electric and telephone lines in the city just to make a military exercise look more authentic, I told Chris. We all agreed. Listening carefully, we could discern the sound of small arms fire moving farther to the south. Had our area already fallen to the North Koreans? We could no longer see anyone from my window. A heavy fog had cut visibility to a few hundred yards and added to our growing feeling of uneasiness. But we were still optimistic. The South Koreans will launch a counterattack today or tomorrow, Chris said. I agreed with him. We had been led to believe that the South Korean army was more than a match for the North Koreans. 